The Midnight Myth Podcast presents The Wheel of Ka, an exploration into the writings of Stephen King. What started as two friends rereading The Dark Tower has turned into an exploration of Stephen King's writing writ large. This episode, we do our final discussion on 11-22-63. Beside me on the desk is a postcard featuring a photo of cars pulled up in front of the big screen. That's the only kind of car they sell on the Lisbon Drive-In snack bar. I've written the message and I've written the address. Mr. Deacon Simmons, Jody High School, Jody, Texas. I started to write Den Home Consolidated High School, but JHS won't become DCHS until next year or the year after. The message reads, Dear Deke, when your new librarian comes, watch out for her. She's going to need a good angel, particularly in April of 1963. Please believe me. No, Jake, I hear the other card man whisker. If John Clayton is supposed to kill her and doesn't, changes will occur. And you've seen for yourself, the changes are never for the better, no matter how good your intentions are. But it's Sadie, I tell him. And although I've never been what you'd call a crying man, now the tears began to come. They ache. They burn. It's Sadie, and I love her. How can I just stand by when he may kill her? The reply is as obdurate as the past itself. Close the circle. So I tear the postcard into pieces. I put them in the room's ashtray, and I set them on fire. There's no smoke alarm to blare to the world what I've done. There's only the rasping sound of my sobs. It's as though I have killed her with my own hands. Soon, I'll bury my lockbox with the manuscript inside it, and then I'll go back to Lisbon Falls, where the other car man with no doubt be very glad to see me. And I won't call a cab. I intend to walk the whole way under the stars. I guess I want to say goodbye. Hearts don't really break. If only they could. Right now, I'm going nowhere except over to the bed, where I will lay my wet face on the pillow and pray to a God I can't quite believe in to send my Sadie a, some good angels so that she can live and love and dance. Goodbye, Sadie. You never knew me, but I love you, honey. Fellow travelers on the path of the beam, Wheelica is back. I'm a little misty-eyed from <laughs> Steve's introduction there. Uh, Not gonna lie. <laughs> it is good to be back with our third, third and, and final. Third and final discussion on 112263. Yeah. We have completed it. It is done. We are here to talk about it, to analyze it, to give it all of our thoughts and feelings, our connections to the tower. Excited to be here. I might just be throwing words in, trying to calm my emotions down <laughs> after that reading. It might be Dude, it's one of the but we chose one of the most emotional passages of this very emotional book. When we say we, it was me. Yeah, chose it was it. you. I it, chose it. Um, but just you know, before we get into it, Steve, how you feeling, dude? Good. I'll tell you what. I'm glad we did this with this book. 
broke it in to a few episodes. It was cool to kind of come in and talk about the book halfway through. Um, I'll completely admit I'm really bad at reading an entire book and then doing an episode on it because I forget so much. Um, I'm, I'm not really a good note taker during the reading of the book. I feel like if we went back and read the book twice, like with The Dark Tower, I did a lot of note taking because we had read it three times, you know, essentially. But w with books like this, I lose a lot sometimes. So I think it was good to break it up because I, I felt like I could remember more. I 100% agree. Now, I do take a lot of notes. You do, Right. That's the difference. I, I do. I make sure Thank to pause. God. However, this book was the one I took the least amount of notes for simply because I could not put it down. Maybe it's up there as well. And I agree, breaking it up has allowed us to, one, have more content, mm -hmm. which is great mm -hmm. because we want to share more of our ideas and thoughts yep. and love hearing from everyone. And two, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still a little misty-eyed <laughs> from that reading. And two, breaking it up has allowed to get certain like inflection points where we're like, let's pause and talk about this and let's get these ideas out. Otherwise, they may have faded. And I think that's where we like, that's where we decide to stop when both of us are like, okay, we got to talk about yeah. this, right? Like yeah. we've, when you and I offline can't stop talking, it's like, okay, let's stop. It's time to do an episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel that 112263 was a very natural we both read it at almost the exact same pace. Yeah. Neither of us got ahead of the other. No. We were, and we, it, it worked really well to make three episodes. And I'm really happy. It was you that said, I think we need to break these up a little more. Well, the book was so big. And, you know, I, what I fully, my intention was like looking at it. It's like, wow, this is as long as it and the stand. And I, with those books, we broke it up as well. Um, and with this, I just kind of felt like, oh, okay, well, it's going to take us as long as it is to get through the book because it's so big. And I was wrong. I mean, this, this felt like reading, it was a lot like it, a lot like the Dark Tower novels. I couldn't put it down. I could not stop. I mean, I was getting up at five in the morning and reading for an hour and a half because it, it and you wouldn't realize it, you know, three and a half, four cups of coffee later, uh, I have the jitters, you know, and I'm like, oh, I can't. I have to put this book down. I need to go take a shower and go to work. Yeah, I got to the point where I was close to the end. I think you had just finished it. And <clears throat> my son Arthur's napping. And I look at Laurel and I'm like, I just got to sit here and read, right? Yep, yep. Arthur wakes up. I look over at my wife, Laurel, the saint that she is. And she goes, just keep going. And I just finished it. And I just sat there and I just like, I didn't <sighs> stop until I was done. And... And Laurel also read this book, and it was Laurel who loved yeah. it, who said, I really want you guys to do this book. Almost every time that we had talked about book, the, doing another book, she's like, read 11-22-63. And, and eventually, we had, we had had our meeting. What did we finish? What did we do before this? The Stand? No. God. Oh, my God. The Shining. The, you're the asking Shining. me to go back? I know. Uh, we did The Shining last. <laughs> the Shining sounds right. And we get to the end of The Shining, and I was like, I really think we should do... I mean, Laurel's been asking us to do this book for how long? And I, I fucking see why. Yo, the last third of this book, 
I'm not going to jump to anything, but I want to focus so heavily on Stephen King as a, an ending writer and his endings because we get there's this is one of the like hot topics on Stephen King on the internet, you know, on Twitter. It's a man, people, you either love the way he ends books or hates them. I'm going to tell you now, I'm the former rather than the latter. I am. Funny we'll that, get to that, though. Yeah, funny that you bring that up. If you want to dialogue with us, we are at Wheel of Ka on Twitter. It is at Derek Jones 198 If you want to talk to me, Steve is pretty much in charge of the Wheel of Ka Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, do you have a personal Twitter handle? Uh, I do. Just, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't. I never use it. That's I fair. Use the Wheel of Ka. That's okay. That's why I only have mine because I yeah. can't do multiple Twitter handles. Yeah, I think either. by now, like the folks who do follow us on Twitter know that it's me by this point. I think so. Because I tag it. you in everything. Right. Just to make just to make sure. If anybody doesn't know, if you get a message on the wheel cod, it's me. It's Steve. Just heads up. Wonderful. There's also our original podcast, which was the sort of seed that mm-hmm. grew into the rose that became the wheel of Ka was the midnight myth. Yeah. yeah. You see what I did I there? See what you did there. Yeah. So the midnight myth, <clears throat> which my wife, Laurel and I do were www.midnightmyth.com at the midnight myth. My wife also does sleep and sorcery, which are fantasy and folklore inspired sleep stories that are really oh. just- they're so good. They're great. We, we use them with Frankie. We use them with our daughter, our 15th month old. And she, she loves them. They're phenomenal. They're great. They're great. So if you're like the Wheel of Ka, if you like the Midnight Myth, chances are you're going to like Sleep and Sorcery, especially if you're looking for help falling to sleep. Mm-hmm. And Steve, tell us a little bit about Mythic Thunderlude. Yes. So I do a D&D podcast musical called Mythic Thunderlude. It's a group of four adventurers uh who go on who go on a weed-filled journey um of debauchery and misfortune to um to try to save the land that they live in and so it is a it's a rock musical it's a it's a podcast it's a dnd game um it's myself three other professional actors and then our, our dungeon master uh michael doherty who who writes and and runs the thing don't you have more Mythic Thunderloop coming? Yes, we do. <clears throat> Excuse so, me. So we do. Funny enough, I am recording that tomorrow night. So we have three more episodes to record for the second half of the first season. Now, I will tell you, we do everything independently. Uh, we have no money, so that's why it takes forever. But we write three original songs for every single episode. Um, they are produced, recorded, edited, mixed, mastered by our our team. Um, and they are. we are on... The Broadway Podcast Network, so you can find us there as well. So we It's a great podcast. I absolutely love it. And apologies if I sound a little nasally. It is very much allergy season, and I've been outside all weekend. Dude, allergy season. Now, for a person that doesn't suffer from seasonal allergies, and I apologize. I, I, I feel for you if you do, especially as a, as a professional singer. I feel for you. I feel like every single year, it's sort of like global warming where they're like, the pollen this year is the fucking worst it's ever been. And you're like, wait, every year for the past decade, I've heard that the pollen has gotten, is that true? Do you feel that way? And if you have seasonal allergies and you're an outdoors oriented person such as myself, God, you can't wait to go out and mow the grass and 
go to the park with your son and yeah. all of it, just you pay a, par- a price. Ugh. And right now you could probably hear that price. I'm going to clear my throat. <clears throat> there we go. I could cut that out, but I won't. Yeah, this is real. This is live. Yeah. Uh, ish. It's not technically live. <laughs> well, it's live for us. It's live for us. Like yeah. we're live. All right. So let's talk a little 112263. <sighs> okay. Where we last left off to where the book ends, our main hero, Jake George, eventually these strange and you know profitable gambling debts catch up to him and a bunch of gangsters find him and they beat him nearly to death and they give him amnesia through brain damage, which is also another way for the past to do everything it can to stop him from stopping Oswald killing JFK. (coughs) Because he is so injured, his knee is bad, his Mm. memory is bad, Sadie ends up really carrying him over the finish line as the past is putting every obstacle in their way and Sadie's just way too much of a badass gunslinger to be stopped and helps him overcome it. And then in the final moments, Jake George is successful at stopping JFK's assassination on 11-22-63 at the cost of Sadie being killed. And when she dies, the last thing she says, but we danced. (sighs) Heavy stuff. When Jake George is interrogated by the FBI, they eventually just say, we know something's not right, but we also know you're not a bad guy, so just disappear, which he wants to do, and he goes back to the future, to uh, quote the phrase of another movie, and he finds out that the future is demonstrably worse. Mm. Massive... Earthquakes have been destroying the world. Massive wars have happened. Nuclear power plants have melted down. Mm-hmm. New England is part of Canada. And it's a dystopian, kind of like a clockwork orange, yeah. where teenage boys just roam around and hurt people for fun. And he ends up meeting... Um, I forget who he meets. He ends up meeting uh, the... Son of the boy who he killed his father, mm-hmm. Frank Dunning's mm-hmm. son. Sorry, right. I had to jog my memory there a little bit. And he ends up telling him all of the misfortune that's happened. We also have the, you know, the yellow card, green card man explain like, hey, you can't keep changing things. It actually makes things worse. Flushes out a little exposition about the nature of time travel in this universe. We don't really learn who these men are with the cards in their hat. We do learn that there's multiple men, though. And they're they're kind of protecting the timeline. Mm-hmm. And Jake goes back, thinks about trying to save Sadie's life, and decides to go into the future again to reset it. And then he moves to the South, becomes a teacher, and he can't help it. Eventually, he Googles Sadie. And when he does, he finds that she has been a phenomenally successful human being. She's been a philanthropist. She's been a teacher. She's been just really an awesome human. And he goes and finds her. And the past, which when you reset, we are learned it has residue. He dances with her one last time. And the book ends. Dude, This is a romance novel. 
I'm going to say it. Hold that thought. Okay. Before, before we get there, yes. we will get there. I, I, I successfully completed my hold that thought quota <laughs> for the wheel of Ka. I've done it again. Yes. What, I'm just trying to keep us on outline. No, I guess no you're throw, right. No, no, we could right. throw the outline away. Ah. What are some tower connections that you have here? Oh, boy. Well, the, the card men uh, remind me a bit of the breakers. I kind of said that sort of early on when we talked about this. You know, when, we, when you read The Dark Tower, there are the many folk who, you know, guard and protect the doors. And in a way, they're not necessarily the many folk, but I, I think they serve the same purpose on the other side of the door, if that makes sense. Because this, this reminds me a lot of when Jake George goes back into 2011 and realizes that it's, it's basically... I mean, for all, it's a war zone, you know. It reminds me a lot of Fedek. It reminds me, you had said something a little earlier on when we were reading the book that I thought was genius, that it was like, this is the portion of our world that turns into mid-world. And it does feel like that. It feels like Fedek. It feels like there's this war-torn nuclear wasteland, for lack of a better term, that we end up in that Jake George has caused. And I wouldn't throw it past Stephen King to connect those things. I mean, there's nothing in the book that says that explicitly, but that's what it made me feel like. It made me feel like Fedek. You know, there are a few hints that we get at that point that, so we learn that when the reset happens, like the main timeline is preserved, mm -hmm. but there is, quote, residue. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't completely, totally reset. Yeah, there are strings that are made. Yes, and those strings kind of linger on. Mm -hmm. Like many in the ways where all of the worlds of the Dark Tower overlap mm -hmm. and are all connected to each other, even the ones that are the most weird and most alien. Yeah. So a few things that we get when Jake George comes back into the future that make me think this might be the great old ones laying the groundwork of what would become mid-world. One, there is um, Takoro spirits. Mm -hmm. Everywhere. Specifically mentioned, a car that is a made-up car in a made-up where and when by Stephen King. So that, I think, connects it directly mm -hmm. to the tower that there are Takoro spirits here. Two, there is an automated bus that drives with a radar dish <sighs> on it. I didn't even think about that. Just like the Guardians, Shardik, yeah. uh, the Wolves. Uh, you know, so this radar dish spinning, I'm like, so the technology of these radar dishes exists in Roland's midworld uh, and uh -huh. was you know, prevalent in this future that Jake George creates mm -hmm. by changing the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, lastly, there's... Uh, well, I won't say lastly, I might have a few more here. There's so much of JFK's assassination in the Dark Tower, and all of the characters talk about it at some point, including Roland, and, and specifically Susanna calls him the last, day, the last American gunslinger. Um, Roland calls him the Din of America, Per Callahan. Mm -hmm says, if I could go to a door to that time, could I have stopped that? Would that change things? Well, I think it's probably because American history and, and the history of the world moving forward after this date would have been fundamentally different had he not been assassinated. 
That's an interesting question. And one of the things about the book I meditate the most on, hmm. because for that to be true, a particular theory of history would need to be true, which is called the great man theory of hmm. history. That history is made, e.g., major causes and consequences that shape human lives are made by great men. Mm. What made Rome? It was Caesar. Mm -hmm. What made France? It was Napoleon. Mm -hmm. What made America? It was George Washington, yes. to be very simple about it. Mm -hmm. There's not a single contemporary or modern historian that thinks that's true, mm. that buys into the great man theory. And that would suggest that JFK, obviously a great man, like no one would argue that he wasn't, his living and dying, if the great man theory of history is wrong, mm -hmm. that the things that happen are more structural, they're more built in, it's more gradual. It just happens there are a few people here and there that might tip things in one direction. You know, the, the great man theory of history says it's Hitler that caused World War II. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Contemporary historians say World War II is going to happen. Regardless. Hitler just had to be the guy that got it there. But the things that were laid that made that happen don't matter. Like Hitler didn't matter as much as you think. So more or less, those historical figures act more as a catalyst or a conduit to what would change history as opposed to them themselves changing history. Singing. Correct. So the, the, uh, the idea of the, we'll, we'll go with Hitler because it's an easy example. Sure, we all know sure. it, right? Germany loses World War I. The groundwork for fascism had already been laid out. Mm -hmm. The idea of anti-Semiticism and hating Jewish people was already prevalent and there. A huge economic depression happens. The German people are feeling... Um, you know, co collectively yeah. emasculated yeah. because they have no money, they have no military, they're um, sitting on the outside of the international order looking in, and that was the fertile soup which made it possible for a person like Hitler to say, the problem is the Jews, let's go kill everyone. Mm. And it was the structural things that led to Hitler rather than Hitler himself coming in and saying, I'm going to reorganize this this society into fascism and I'm going to start a war. Right. This is already a structure that that supported him. This isn't to say that like the psychology, personality, the biography of Hitler isn't important to history. Sure. It sure, certainly is. But it's not he, him alone. But yes, the like the the way contemporary historians talk about it like if it wasn't Hitler it would have been someone else. Yeah. It would have been different Sure, but it would have happened one way or another. Sure. That being stated, what I think King is doing here with the death of, of Kennedy, whether it does or doesn't happen, it's the act of changing destiny that changes things. It's not right? Kennedy himself. Yeah. It's just the act of changing something so grand. The way that Jake George talks about the past harmonizing mm -hmm. and the way he talks about that being strings, like strings of an instrument. Yeah. I'm like mimicking a guitar as I do it. Yeah. And that, that can also be destructive enough strings at the right frequency can break things. Yeah, it cause chaos. Yeah. And here's my thought. 
does saving Kennedy break a beam? You motherfucker. I, God. Can I tell you something before I answer that question? Sure. I'm in the car. I'm on the way here to your house. And I was like, you know, this is the third and final episode. I wonder if, like, like we haven't had one of these yet. I wonder if Derek's going to hit me with one of those questions that utterly breaks my brain. The answer, I think, is yes, based on the evidence we have in the Dark Tower books. I think there's something about the Kennedy assassination that rings uh, true to King himself. I think maybe living through that history, I mean, I know it scarred a lot of people. You know, I was talking to my dad the other day, who, uh, who would have been eight uh, during the Kennedy assassination, watched it on TV, like a lot of people did, like the majority of the country did. And I think there's one thing about our generation that we really don't understand. It's like the assassination of a president is fucking huge. I mean, that rocks the entire world. And I think for, you know, somebody my dad's age, the Kennedy assassination and then moving through the civil rights movement and, and, and Johnson, just I think a lot of the country was rocked and not really settled during that time. And really great, I mean, I hate to say this, great things came out of that assassination. I mean, the civil rights movement and the, and the civil rights bill itself came out of that assassination. You know, we wouldn't, I mean, we wouldn't have some sort of a sense of equality in the United States had it not been for his assassination. Um, would he have gotten it done? Maybe. But thinking about how important that moment in history and watching it and watching it on live television and hearing how brutal it was, it doesn't surprise me that somebody King's age would be like, you know what, would the world be different if this assassination changed? And I think it's very clear to Stephen King the answer is no. In fact, it might be worse because we're not supposed to fuck with history. We're not supposed to fuck with time. There's a reason we can't fucking time travel, Derek. There's a reason. It's not supposed to happen. Look, I'm not a religious person. Now, as I get older with my kid, I become a little more spiritual. I do think there's probably some sort of energy, you know, that's connecting all of us. But I'm not a religious person, so I'm not going to be like, well, God intervened here and blah, blah, blah. That's not me. But there's something. I mean, it's very prevalent in King's world. There is some sort of energy that connects us all, be it for me, it's Ka in this world. You know, Ka really did not want this to happen. It's very clear. And I think that kind of goes into the next point, which are the like themes, what we think of this book, um, what we what we enjoyed, what we liked, what we didn't like. Yep. And I do think in Stephen King's multiverse, which he has, there is Ka. That is a legitimate thing. We could understand it at least in how we look at 112263, mm -hmm. because Ka can be many things at many times. But in 112263, I think it's fairly interchangeable with destiny. Yeah. And there is a destiny that JFK gets assassinated at that day and at that time. And tinkering with destiny means the world will move on. And I'll tell you, this is the first time since the Dark Tower where I felt that Ka was, 
I don't want to say a negative force, but definitely a force, a stopping force, a wall, a brick wall. I would say uh, dispassionate, mm. right? Like doesn't care about, about you, you or mm -hmm. anyone. Sure. Ka is ka. It does what it wants. It's like gravity. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it. gravity doesn't have an opinion about morality or art or, you know, like all of those things are, are irrelevant mm -hmm. to gravity. And I mm -hmm. feel like Ka is like gravity in particular in this book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just like, oh, you're going to mess with me? Well, I will destroy reality then. Reality itself, and which I think there is a a way that you can meditate on it that says that JFK's assassination is part of what makes the beam that holds up this reality together, which is to say that you there are terrible things that will happen. However, that's necessary. Bad things need to occur in order for people to have love. Mm and compassion and joy. And that <coughs> while that doesn't say it's okay that JFK died, right? But what's not okay is changing Ka, changing destiny, yeah. right? It sucks that JFK died. Yeah, It's a terrible thing that that happened. Clearly King brings it up so often and in so many books, it really must've mattered to King. Yeah, and I think, it, and it matters to American history as a whole. I mean, our country would look exponentially different if he had survived, be it good, bad, or indifferent. It would have changed history. I mean, you know, it's one of the first things you really feel when you learn about American history in school, which if you're in public school like I was, which was every fucking year, you realize that like this event was, was such a fulcrum to United States history, modern history, you know, the 20th century, it's such a fulcrum point. So many people were, I mean, we still talk about it. I mean, you've got, for, you've got crazy fucking right-wingers thinking this dude's son who died in a plane is still out there running the country. There were people still to this date debating whether or not this was the government hit job a, a mob mafia, hit job, you know? a time traveler hit job. Like there are still so, like this event left such a mark on American collective consciousness mm -hmm. that people are still like, no, nah, it's not, it's not what you think. Yeah. It's more than what you think. You know, for that's fun. How, that's how pro like the deeply wounded people are that yeah. they're like, there's more to this story. Well, I mean, I think I would be if, if, if you know, in my lifetime, a JFK kind of lookalike, if you will, being Obama, being this more progressive, not in terms of policy, but in terms of weight socially uh, and politically, what kind of figure, his popularity, the way he spoke, the way he moved people to vote, you know, I, could you imagine watching him being assassinated live TV? What that would do to your consciousness? I wouldn't want to live in that world. No, honestly. I wouldn't. No, I would not want to live in that world. Because no matter who you were—Democrat, Republican, Independent—in 1963, this shit was horrifying. The way it happened, you watched a dude's head explode on national television. That being stated, 
our generation has had a few events of comparable significance. 9-11? 9-11 being the one Huge. that is imprinted in my I'll brain. I'll never forget it. I, I don't think any of us will. And I think it irrevocably changed things mm -hmm. and fundamentally remade the country both from like a substantive, this is what politicians will do now, to the, this is how we think about ourselves, to the, you know, like, I used to be the guy that at a baseball game, I wouldn't take my hat off for the national anthem because mm. I was so punk rock and cool. Mm. You know, like, I'm not going to take my hat off for the national anthem. Sure. I'm Derek, I'm punk rock, F the anthem. Yeah. You better believe after 9-11, I've never not, well, you know, like, it, it changed me as a person. You know, there's, there's a different, and I do think that this is part of this book. Um, and so I'd like to speak a, a little bit on it. You know, I think there's a difference in having pride and love for your country and nationalism. I think there's a big difference. And I think having pride in one's country, I think as, as millennials, it's difficult for us because we've... We've just seen what the government can do, both, both positively and negatively, and we've seen more negative than we have positive in our lifetime. And I don't know about you, but there has always felt like, as a millennial, there's been this fascination in American culture from, like, 1950 to the end of the 60s. There's, like, this weird golden period of American history, you know, where we as people who are now in our mid-30s to mid-40s grew up hearing about this, and I, I, I feel it a lot in this book, the way that Stephen King writes about 1950s America, and it, it just feels like... Have you ever seen the movie... Oh, what's it, what's it called? It's with Tobey Maguire... Pleasantville? Pleasantville. Have you ever seen Pleasantville? I have. You know, you know that feeling where just like everything feels so perfect and the 50s and the 60s has this sheen over it in American history until this point. You know, and I, I, I feel in this book that that's where that sheen is ripped away, even from King's youth. You know, and you see the sort of darker underbelly of the, the late 50s, early 60s. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I meditated a lot on, you know, like, it seems like the world's a little bit better if JFK is assassinated than Yes, not. but I think that's because it breaks a beam. Yeah, I think it you're right. It has nothing to do necessarily with JFK. It's JFK's assassination has Ka so out of whack, yeah. has the beam so out of whack that earthquakes, power plant eruptions, war... These things just have to happen. Oh, one quick tower reference I forgot to mention. When um, when Jake George is back and he's talking to Dunning's son, I forget his name right now because I... Is it George? George. Or Frank? George. Frank, Frank George, it's whatever. It's one of them. It's a Dunning. June 19th, 1999 Nine. yep. is, is when a power plant erupts which is the same date that Stephen King gets hit by a car. Oh, my God! Which is the same date that um, it, 19 and 1999 are all over the Dark Tower. You know what? This book solidifies and, and, and makes me feel really good that we ever started this fucking project. Because it is true. It is. You can relate every single book back to the Tower. And so Stephen King presumably dies 
in this where right. and when in that power plant eruption, right. which means Gan's writer is gone, which means the Song of the Rose is gone, which means this world is it's the done. world that decays. It moves on. It moves on. And maybe it forms mid-world. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. I'd love to hear what other Towerists think. I mean, it at least sets up the idea that there are other worlds than this. And, and this could be our side of, of joining that piece of the tower. And maybe Al going to get really cheap burger meat is what caused all these multiverses. Seriously. Like maybe that's what caused them I mean, all. I mean, that's, that is the implication in the book that this man is just trying to make an honest, normal little business. I mean, it's too good to be true, you know? Can I ask, what does this book mean to you? Uh, well, it means a couple of things, a few things. Number one, it really did solidify uh, me being a Taoist and me reading Stephen King through the lens of the Tower and not just as a novelist. Um, it's, it's the first book since It that I felt that I was sitting in one of the rooms of the Tower reading the book. The whole time. I felt like I was on a very specific level of the tower. Um, number two, it made me fall in love with romance novels. Uh, I, would, I would not consider myself a person who loves love stories. Um, it's not that I don't like them. I just, I'd never felt incredibly moved by them. And I think being a parent now has changed that. Um, and number three, I really like historical drama. Even though it's not the main focus of this podcast, it was a little, it was kind of fun to go back in time in I this one. I love all of that. Yeah. I would say we know Stephen King as a horror writer. Yes. But you and I have a unique relationship to King is that we got to King through the Dark Tower, which is... It's a Western and fantasy more yeah. than anything else. Adventure. Mm -hmm. It's not a horror. Mm -hmm. So we don't know him as a horror. And one of the things that is most consistently said about Roland in The Dark Tower is that he has a, quote, romantic nature. Yeah. A big part of Wizard in Glass is Roland's romance with Susan Delgado. A big part of the Wastelands and every Dark Tower after that is the romance of Susanna and Eddie. And, Eddie. Mm -hmm. and the biggest part of 112263 is the romance of Jake George and Sadie. And I think it's worth saying that Stephen King is a writer of many genres and many talents, but man, does that guy know how to write about love. Well, I'll tell you, you know, he and Tabitha King have been married for how long? And I'll tell you, I mean, there is a lot of romance in the King novels that we've read, you know, that we, we've never, we don't touch on because it's not the focus. Where in, in, in 11-22-63, it feels very much like a romance novel with some cool time travel and some interesting history attached to it. You know, because you get halfway through, man, a little bit, more than, or a little bit less than halfway through the book, and it pretty much turns into their story. And I'm happy about that. 
you know, the Dark Tower. Eddie and Susanna, like you said, their relationship takes up a big portion of that story. Roland's love for the Cotet is a big portion of that story. So I think, though we don't always look at King, uh, the thing that I'm fascinated by him consistently is that, yes, you know, we had it, we had a, I don't know if it's one Bills fan 76. I think that's their handle. I can't remember. It's one Bills fan something was the person that reminded us, was like, yeah, hey, so, you know, these are the same people that call him a horror writer. And, it, and it's funny. I really never have seen Stephen King as a horror writer first. I see him as a person. We've talked about this time in and time again on this podcast. I see him as a person who writes incredibly interesting people in wild circumstances. And in some of, if not most of the books, there's some horror to it. You know, the fucking clown, the killer clown scared me. I mean, I had nightmares for like four months, you know, but at the end of the day, what do I take from that book? I take the relationship of the losers club. What do I take from 11, 63 I take Sadie tripping and Jake holding her and catching her and him. There, the, the amount of trauma that they went through together in this book in such a short amount of time. It was beautiful. It really was. I cried more in this book than any Stephen King novel so far. Uh, this was second to me. What was the first one? That I cried the most? Yeah. I cried really hard at the end of it. Oh, like, sure. I, I didn't, I like, ugly girl cried yeah, no, at the end I, of it. No, I, I know. Arthur was being put down for a nap. I finished it, and I walked into the nursery, <sighs> and I saw Arthur sleeping, and then I had to leave because I was crying so hard Dude. that I was Ugh. at risk of waking Arthur up, and like, Laura was like, are you okay? And I'm like, they don't even remember they Dude. saved the world. You know, and being, and like, and I, was, girl, I and, cried really hard at the end of it. And being a girl dad to somebody like Frankie who already mind, reminds me a little bit of Bev and certain things that she does, like, I, if I went back and read it now as a parent, because I finished it before Rebecca was pregnant, I, I believe, um, or, like, right when she was first pregnant. Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting. But this is, I'm not, like, I'm not a love story person. And, and this... You're a this, Stephen King fan, man. He yeah. writes about love. <sighs> you are. I guess it's I am. It's just that Stephen King does <sighs> it at a level that... I've never experienced before. Can I, admit, can I admit something to you? Yes. So when I got to the end of the book and there's that afterward, I read about like three pages of the afterward and I was like, oh, wait, the book ended. So I, I went back and reread the last like 10 pages a second time because I realized that that was the end. I thought there was going to be some afterward like that he normally does and... We were going to talk about Jody for a little bit. And I realized, no, 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 no. Wait. The dance is it. That's it. That's it. That's the end of their story. I audibly was like, ah! and Rebecca was like, what's wrong? It's like, I got to the end of the book and I think I missed the end. And I can't tell her because she hasn't read it yet. I was going to ask, has she read it? No, she hasn't read it yet. What do you think of the theme of dancing? Why dancing? You know, a thing that I mm. I think if 
Stephen King always has artists, intellectuals, musicians. Larry plays you know, yeah. music. Even then, even in the Dark Tower, Eddie becomes like a phenomenal whittler. Yeah. You know, and works with wood. He always likes having characters that are really good at an art. So many of his heroes are writers. Mm -hmm. uh, he writes himself into the Dark Tower. Mm -hmm. Why do you think this book, it's about, even though the main character is a writer and an English teacher, the art that really sticks out to me in this one is dancing. Yeah, I'll tell you why. I think it's connected to music. Um, I think in my own personal life, I've said this for a lot of years, I think that music is the greatest thing that human beings have ever given to our existence, whatever that may be. And it's very clear that music means a lot to Stephen King. It's in every, it, there, almost every quote before chapters. It's mentioned in every book that we've read. Um, I mean, I don't know how it couldn't. It's our form of magic. And if you have a person who's writing modern fantasy and adventure and horror, well, the real-life magical things are going to make it into those novels. And I think that music and dancing in this, in this context, you know, to me, dancing is carelessness. It's not caring who's in the room watching you. It's a freedom of expression of the body. Um, people just let go when they really dance, you know, and there's, there's some sort of emotional connection to it. There's a spark connected to it. It, it releases endorphins. It activates your brain and your body at the same time. And it's very intimate, especially the sort of dancing that Jake George and Sadie were into. It's very, it's very, um, I don't want to say violent, but it's, it's very energetic. Kinetic. Yes, maybe. swing yeah. dancing is kinetic. It uses every muscle. It forces your body to tort and twist or, or contort and twist in ways that you don't normally do. And there's a ferocity to it, you know? And I think Stephen King using the dancing as a moving element, as a way that Jake, George, and Sadie's story move forward in a positive way, whereas Ka is trying to move them backwards, you know? And I think that the only unstoppable force really in the book is Jake, George, and Sadie's love for one another, if you, if you ask me. I love all of what you said. I'll add on top of that. I think there was a point in the book when I looked over to Laurel and I said to Laurel, I'm like, yo, this book's about dancing? Is that right? Am I getting this right? Mm -hmm. Like, is that the main theme? And Laurel just like put her hand over her mouth. I was just like, whoo. Ooh, you might have figured it out early, you know, like, and I do think this book is about dancing. And I, for all of the reasons that you have said, I think romance has been a part of the Stephen King experience I have had, but this is the first book that's been about romance. It's a love, it's a true love story. And because of that, the way these two people express their love is through their similar love of swing dancing. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever been in love and felt like you had the greatest dance partner in the world, this book will resonate with you. Mm -hmm. It will hit your, your heartstring. Laurel and I, I would not call us great dancers by any stretch of the imagination. 
Uh, there, we are in a community of people who have studied and like are professional or semi-professional dancers. We're not that. But when Laurel and I go to a wedding, there's a connection. People notice. Yeah. People notice us and say, whoa, look at you two. Buddy, I have an entirely different persona at a wedding. His name is Wedding Steve. It's not very original. But just by putting the word wedding before my uh, born first name, he, that man is a different person. I mean, he dances like no one is watching. Truly. And I mean, and it's different. It's just different when you're in, in the middle of that it's also, I think, a little different for us as, as like people who are attracted to rhythm in being drummers, or, you know, naturally. I think there's something about dancing and the rhythm of it and um, the reciprocity of it. You know, you're giving back to your partner when you dance. Um, I think that kind of give and take is a big, big point in this book as well. And in the Song of Susanna in particular, we learned that Stephen King isn't writing the Dark Tower. He's channeling it mm -hmm. through the force called Gan. And I think the only times in my life where I have felt that that might even be possible have been making music with a really good group of people yep. and you're really in the pocket. 100%. And you feel like, I'm not actually, like, you're I not am playing. I'm not doing this. No. The song is coming through That's me. That's right. And dancing with my wife. Yeah. Those are the two times where I felt like that might be possible where you could actually channel a force bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And dancing with my wife on several occasions has been that, that moment. And I think with this book being romance first, time travel, save the universe second, dancing to me is the like, it is the glue of the romance. And let's not forget in one brief moment in the Dark Tower, what does Roland DeShane do? <laughs> mm -hmm. He dances the Kambala, mm -hmm. and he does it better than anyone has ever seen. And he blows Eddie's mind because Eddie didn't think that Roland had that type of uh, energy or living excitement to be able to perform like that. He blows the entire Kala's mind. Yeah. yeah. It's the single like, most important part to winning the Kala over to the stand against the wolf side is that Roland dances the Kamala. And he's like fucking injured at that point, right? Doesn't he have the twist? The dry twist. He's got the twist already and he's out there dancing like it doesn't matter. And we get a lot of connection to Susan on that. And, and you know, I mean, the one thing I, I will say about Stephen King, I mean, love is a major theme in almost every book that we've read. There's some sort of connection. I, I, I don't think you can write um, situationally and, and write from a perspective of character and not plot and not have very emotional characters with a very large depth of emotion to them. I think it would be hard. I don't think I would like Stephen King as much if he were just plot-based. You know, I think I, I, I think the, the reason why I connect to him so much is because he puts so much thought and energy and love into the characters and the circumstances that the characters find themselves in, as opposed to, 
I've got this giant plot. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, I'm, I'm not knocking plot. You're just talking about what you love yeah. about King. Yeah, and not you, knocking plot. Yeah. It's just I, I find myself gripped to what's going to happen to Jake and George and Sadie. What's going to happen to Deke? What happens to fucking Deke when, the, when time changes? You know, like what? I get so invested in what's going to happen to these people as opposed to the time and place that they're in. And I think that's why with time travel is pretty easy with Stephen King because it's not that complicated, actually. I love that. Oops, Compared sorry. to the other King works that we have done, where do you put this book? It's right... Okay, so I know you don't want me to do this, but I have to do it. I separate the tower. It's just a different thing for me. Steve, I 100% do the same. Are you, oh, you do? Okay. Because like when talked someone before, asks me what my favorite movie is, I'm not comparing that to yeah, we Star, Wars. Star Wars. Right, right. We both but do that. Someone asked me what my favorite rock group is. I'm not comparing it to the Beatles right. or Led Zeppelin. Right. I mean, you can't. You know, like, I, you you know, like I'm not comparing it to them. Okay. You know, like, so, well, we had so, one conversation before where we'd like sort it. We've included the Dark Tower in this ranking. And I've officially decided I can't do that. I am in the same boat because I love cool. the tower so <laughs> much. It's I can't rank them. Every book would at, at its best starting point would be eight. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, you're eight compared to uh, the Dark Tower. I so, agree with that. So of the books that we've read, this is probably my second favorite. Uh, right behind it. So second favorite behind it. Mm -hmm. Funny, if someone put a gun to my head and said, what's your favorite non-Tower Stephen King book? Would you say this? I would say it. It. But I could talk myself into, into this. Like, my instincts I, I would be like, too. it's it. I love it. I'm, it, it. It's my favorite book. And then, but I could talk myself into 1122.63. But the same thing that I love about it is the same thing I love about this book. And it's that inherent connection of community. This, the, the, the love between certain individuals will bring down evil no matter what. I'm a sucker for that. I really am. And I think, I think it does it just slightly better because of the kid dynamic. I'm not going to lie. Being a dad now, there's just something about a group of fucking 12-year-olds bringing down a killer clown that, that still resonates a little, not by much. I mean, this book, to me is the most earnest and the most emotional. Like this book, I'm going to tell my mom to read. Yeah. Yeah. My mom has read Stephen King in the past, but she kind of fell off and she's never read the dark tower, but I'm going to buy a copy of this for my mom for it's mother's so day good. and be like, you should read this book. <sighs> and especially somebody that went through this time period, mm -hmm. because if you're a person that was born in the fifties and you grew up, and this is nostalgia for you, every piece of history from the Sunliner, you know, the, the, old, the old fountain soda shops, going in and him buying clothes at a drugstore. You know, just I, I feel like for that generation, there is a bit of a love story of the late 50s, early 60s for the, that generation. I totally agree with that 100%. And I think there is a where and when 
where 112263 is my favorite book of all time. Mm. It's mm. just not this where and when. Yeah, it's but it's so it, good. It I had to put down 112263 only a few times and that was simply because I needed to process the emotions I was mm-hmm. feeling or I had to go to work. Like I literally right, had to right. leave. But <laughs> no, but so and the only books that have ever had that effect on me are Certain moments in the Dark Tower, mm-hmm. and it, and eleven twenty two sixty three, mm. where I'm like, I need to stop now. I can't actually read another word. Yeah. I have to think about how this book is making me feel. Yeah, and I have to like, I have to reflect. Is this good? Is this bad? Is it in between? Am I a better person? Am I a worse person? What does the universe mean? And it's only Stephen King that has inspired me to have these inflection points mm-hmm. where I had the time I could read, yeah. but I had to stop. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I think this is a good equalizer for uh, Tower and non-Tower fans alike. I think this is one of the books that, similar to it that you could read that if you're into the Dark Tower, you're going to see all the references, you're going to feel all the references, and if you've never read it, it's not going to matter. You're going to read a really well-written ad- adventure that's exciting. It's tragic. So much happens. And in the end, you know, you're going to be left feeling that, at least for me, that true love really is a thing. And it really does exist. So you and I agree, second best non-Tower book under it. Hands down. Yeah. Hands down. And I could be talked into... I could be persuaded to put this above it. It's just in my, in my true heart, my secret heart, and to use words mm-hmm. that, that King would use, it, I think, is the best book not connected to the Tower, not, mm-hmm. not a Dark Tower book. Arguably, it's the best book I think I've ever read. And, you know, I, one thing I'd like to mention, just kind of outside 112263, but more around the Wheel of Ka as a project as a whole, um, you know, I grew up with the Harry Potter series. I was 10 when it came out, and, and that shaped my life as a young adult. And I think I, I've kind of given myself some grief with Stephen King being like, oh, you should really, I mean, I mean, Harry Potter is, had more of an effect on you. And I'm like, no, you know what the difference is? Harry Potter made me, it moved me from my young adolescence to my adult adolescence. And I think Stephen King has taken me from my adult adolescence into my adulthood. And I think they're equally as important of a universe to me just in in two separate ways. And I know that doesn't have a a lot to do with what we're talking about, but that's been on my mind a little bit for a weird reason. I I love that. You know? So for me, it was, as a young child, it was Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. That was the, you know, I I started it at like 14... Uh, finished it at like 16 and then reread it again before 18, then went and reread it another time before the movies. And that was the book series that defined me. Mm-hmm. And I still absolutely adore and love it. But it is for a while, I thought it might have been Song of Ice and Fire. Mm, sure. And a lot happened that I don't want to get into for this podcast because that could be its own other <laughs> podcast. And it was sort of the whole of Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Like 
not having that that made me sure. want to seek something out. Sure. That thought like, okay, so Song of Ice and Fire is not done. It can't be my super fandom because it's not over. And it might not ever be done. Who, Who knows? knows? <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> and then I went into the Dark Tower, and that has defined me as a reader for yeah. the last three, four years of yeah. my life. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's changed my life. and I, it, may, it Honestly, it turned me back into a reader. You know, I was a big reader when I was a kid, and then when I got into art school and I was acting, there's not a whole lot of time to read anything but plays. You know, there, there, there's not a whole lot of time to sit back and read a 2,000-page novel. Um, and I think in my adulthood, it, it got me back into reading, which I really appreciate. I love it. All right, so... We have a poll. Any, right? Yeah, anything else to no, say about... No, no. Right. Please read this book. Like, honestly, guys, if, of, 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 um, of everything we've ever talked about, like, even if you're not a Dark Tower fan, if you think Stephen King's like, ah, whatever, I'm Steve, trying to get into it. Steve, there's no one listening, listening to, this to this episode that's not a Dark Tower I kind of hope... I hope there's, there's no like one, one person who's like, ah, like, you know, if you're not a Dark All right, had a computer issue, but uh, we're back. Yeah, everyone that... Our whole podcast I know, I know. is... If you're a Dark Tower fan, listen to us. So everyone's but listening be, is a Dark Tower fan. There might be one person who gets into the Dark Tower because of us. That would be awesome. Because they've read 112263 or whatever. Yeah. But we did, in other news, we need another book. So we're, we're done with 112263. Uh, and I, I believe we've had the next book chosen for us. By our Twitter poll, we had we had a pretty good response this time, man. A lot of responses. Hey, yeah. honestly, guys, listen, it, it really like when we say to you, like Derek and I are just like we're normal people. We do this for fun. We don't make any money off of it. We do it because we have a passion for Stephen King and his writing in the Dark Tower. And and I'm not gonna lie, I kind of fanboy a little bit when somebody responds to our posts, and we've had quite a bit of them recently. And, and I, really. It, it means a lot that folks are engaging with us and taking time out of your very busy, very important lives to listen to, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum talk about, me being Tweedledum, talk about the Dark Tower. So Derek's looking at me like, God damn it, Steve. You went this whole episode without putting yourself down until the very end. But we have a poll. We put a poll out there. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm <laughs> chuckling and Steve is responding. I'm trying to not put the chuckle in. It's Steve, there. You are not Tweedledum. It's there. It's fine. I, it's, it's not, I don't look at it as an insult, right? I look at it as fun and playful. Yes. Let me put myself down and tell everyone that I'm not, not, but anyway, the poll, but the poll. So we put four books up. We asked, uh, the talisman fairy tale, Carrie and Cujo, which, by the way, Cujo got no love. Nobody wants us to read Cujo. I'm going to connect. go out and say this. Is it because it's a dog? I think we have to do Cujo soon because I need some classic, dark, effed up Stephen King Well, here's heart. what I think we should do. So the poll, officially, the next book we will be reading is The Talisman. So we're going to read The Talisman next, and then I say after we well, read Cujo. Want to do Cujo? Done. Yeah, let's do Cujo. Done and done. Yeah. 
I love that. My wife's going to squeal because we're doing, we're doing the talisman. Apparently, there's a lot of Dark Tower references in the talisman as well. All right, we're going to stop because I think my computer's about to melt. I have one other question for folks who listen to this episode. So recently, you had been gifted the Dark Tower uh, graphic novel, which mm -hmm. I've read. Yeah. Is there anybody out there that wants us to talk about it? I only read the first volume, but I would we get can do volume by volume all of them and talk about them. I've read them all, so I'm I'm into it. So if anybody wants to hit us up on Twitter, let us know. But our 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 next plan is we're going to do the talisman and then Cujo, and then maybe we'll hit the uh, graphic or, novel. Or just now that we're spitballing, read a book, a graphic novel. Oh, a book. Oh, a graphic novel. Done. Done. That's what we're doing. I think. Should we do that? Yeah, I think so. Okay, we're doing that. Yeah, because I miss I miss the content. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like as much fun as it's been reading the other books, and they're brilliant. I miss Roland Jake, Eddie, and Susanna. In the first volume of the graphic novel is phenomenal. Oh, it's outrageous. It's so good. Oh, it's amazing. All right, well done. This is our thoughts on eleven twenty two sixty three. Long days and pleasant nights. Long days and pleasant nights. <laughs> <laughs>